1. The Mafulu Mountain People of British New Guinea Robert W. Williamson with an introduction by A.C. Hedden. SC.D.FRS Preface This book is the outcome of an expedition to British New Guinea in 1910, in which, after a short stay among the people of some of the western Solomon Islands, including those of that old center of the headhunters, the Rubiana Lagoon, and a preparatory and instructive journey in New Guinea among the large villages of the Mako district, I struck across country by a little-known route, Violapika, to Idoido and on and thus passed by way of further preparation through the Kuni country, and ultimately reached the district of the Mafulu villages, of whose people very little was known, and which was therefore the Mecca of my pilgrimage. I endeavored to carry out the inquiries of which the book is a record as carefully and accurately as possible, but it must be remembered that the Mafula people had seen very few white men, except some of the fathers of the Catholic mission of the Sacred Heart. The visits of government officials and once or twice of a scientific traveler having been but few and far between, and only short, that the mission station in Mafula the remotest station of the mission had only been established five years previously, that the people were utterly unaccustomed to the type of questioning which systematic ethnological inquiry involves, and that necessarily there was often the usual hesitation in giving the required information, I cannot doubt, therefore that future inquiries and investigations made in the same district will bring to light errors and misunderstandings, which even with the greatest care can hardly be avoided in the case of a first attempt on new ground, where everything has to be investigated and worked up from the beginning. I hope, however, that the bulk of my notes will be found to have been correct in substance so far as they go. I regret that my ignorance of tropical flora and fauna has made it impossible for me to give the names of many of the plants and animals to which I refer. There are many people, more than I can mention here, to whom I owe my grateful thanks. Prior to my departure for the South Seas Drive Hedden took great trouble in helping and advising me, and, indeed, I doubt whether I should have ventured upon my solitary expedition if I had not had his stimulating encouragement. In New Guinea I had the never-failing hospitality and kindness of my good friend Monsignor de Boismanu the Bishop of the Mission of the Sacred Heart and the Fathers and Brothers of the Mission. Among the latter I would specially mention Father Agdi and Father Clauser. Father Agdi whose name is already familiar to students of New Guinea ethnology was my friend and traveling companion during a portion of my journeyings through the Mako and Kuni districts, and his Mako explanations proved invaluable to me when I reached my Mafulu destination and dear good Father Clauser was a pillar of help in Mafulu. He placed at my disposal all his existing knowledge concerning the people, and was my intermediary and interpreter throughout all my inquiries. And finally, when having at some risk prolonged my stay at Mafulu until those inquiries were completed, I was at last compelled by the serious state of my health to beat a retreat, and be carried down to the coast. He undertook to do the whole of my photographing and physical measurements and the care and skill with which he did so are evidenced by the results as disclosed in this book. I must also add that the frontispiece and plates 17, 67, 68, 69 and 70 are taken from previous photographs which Father Clauser kindly placed at my disposal. My remembrance of his lordship the bishop, and of the reverend fathers and the brothers of the mission will ever be one of affectionate personal regard and of admiration of the spirit of heroic self-sacrifice which impels them to submit cheerfully to the grave and constant hardships and dangers to which their labor of love necessarily exposes them. Since my return home Dr. Seligman has given me immense help, advising me upon my notes, placing material at my disposal, 
and afterwards reading through a considerable portion of my manuscript, Mr. T. A. Joyce and Mr. J. H. Partington helped me in arranging and dealing with the things which I had brought back to the British Museum. Dr. Keith examined and reported upon some skulls which I had obtained, and advised me upon my notes on physique. Dr. Stapf helped me in matters of botanical identification. Mr. S. H. Ray has given me the full benefit of his wide knowledge of South Pacific linguistics, and has written the appendices to the book. And, finally, Dr. Hedden has very kindly read through my proof sheets. In conclusion, I would add that there is still an immense amount of detailed work to be done among the Mafula people, and that the districts of the Ando and Bogo and Oralopiku people, still further back among the mountains, offer an almost virgin field for investigation to anyone who will take the trouble to go there. Introduction by Drive A.C. Hedden It is a great pleasure to me to introduce Mr. Williamson's book to the notice of ethnologists and the general public, as I am convinced that it will be read with interest and profit. Perhaps I may be permitted in this place to make a few personal remarks. Mr. Williamson was formerly a solicitor, and always had a great longing to see something of savage life. But it was not till about four years ago that he saw his way to attempting the realization of this desire by an expedition to Melanesia. He made my acquaintance in the summer of 1908, and seeing that he was so keenly interested, I lent him a number of books and all my misnotes on Melanesia, by the help of these and by the study of other books he gained a good knowledge of the ethnology of that area. In November, 1908, he started for Oceania for the first time and reached Fiji from which place he had intended to start on his expedition, circumstances over which he had no control, however, prevented the carrying out of his original program, so he went to Sydney, and there arranged modified plans, he was on the point of executing these, when he was again frustrated by a telegram from England which necessitated his immediate return, it was a sad blow to him to have his long-cherished schemes thus thwarted and rendered abortive, but, and daunted, he set about to plan another expedition. Accordingly, in January, 1910, he once more set sail for Australia as a starting place for the Solomon Islands and British New Guinea, and this time achieved success. The book which he now offers to the public is the result of this plucky enterprise. In justice to the author it should be known that, owing to climatic and other conditions, he was unwell during the whole of his time in New Guinea, and had an injured foot and leg that hurt him every step he took. The only wonder is that he was able to accomplish so large and so thorough a piece of work as he has done. It is interesting to note the different ways by which various investigators have entered the field of ethnology. Some have approached it from the literary or classical side, but very few indeed of these have ever had any experience in the field. The majority of field workers have had a previous training in science zoology not and naturally has sent more recruits than any other branch of science. A few students have been lawyers. But so far as I am aware Mr. Williamson is the first British lawyer who has gone into the field, and he has proved that legal training may be a very good preliminary discipline for ethnological investigation in the field, as it gives invaluable practice in the best methods of acquiring and sifting of evidence. A lawyer must also necessarily have a wide knowledge of human nature and an appreciation of varied ways of thought and action. It was with such an equipment and fortified by extensive reading in ethnology that Mr. Williamson was prepared for his self-imposed task. Proof of his powers of observation will be found in the excellent descriptions of objects of material culture with which he has presented us. I now turn to some of the scientific aspects of his book. 
Mr. Williamson especially set before himself the work of investigating some tribes in the mountainous hinterland of the Mako district. This was a most happy selection, though no one could have foreseen the especial interest of these people, thanks mainly to the systematic investigations of Dr. Seligman and to the sporadic observations of missionaries, government officials and travelers. We had a good general knowledge of many of the peoples of the eastern coast of the southeastern peninsula of New Guinea, and of some of the islands from the Trobriands to the Louisians. The ethnology of the fertile and populous Mako district has been mainly made known to us by the investigations of various members of the Sacred Heart Mission, and by Dr. Seligman. What little we know of the Papuan Gulf district is due to missionaries among the coastal tribes, Mr. James Chalmers and Mr. W. Holmes. Dr. G. Landman is at present investigating the natives of the Delta of the Fly River and Dowdai. The natives of the Torres Straits Islands have also been studied as fully as is possible, but of the mountain region lying behind the Mako district very little indeed has been published, so Mr. Williamson's book fills a gap in our knowledge of Papuan ethnology. We have as yet a very imperfect knowledge of the ethnological history of New Guinea, speaking very broadly. It is generally admitted that the bulk of the population belongs to the Papuan race, a dark-skinned, woolly-haired people who had also spread over western Oceania, but, to a greater or less extent, New Guinea has been subject to cultural and racial influences from all sides, except from Australia, where the movement has been the other way. Thus the East Indian archipelago has directly affected parts of Netherlands New Guinea and its influence is to be traced to a variable degree in localities in the Bismarck Archipelago, German New Guinea Kaiser Wilhelm's Land, Western Oceania, and British New Guinea or Papua, as it is termed officially. The southeastern peninsula of New Guinea or at all events the coastal regions has been largely affected by immigrants, who were themselves a mixed people, and who came later at various times. It is to these immigrants that Mr. Ray and I applied the term Melanesian Ray, S.H. and Hedden. A.C., A Study of the Languages of Torres Straits, Proc. Roy, Irish Akad, 3rd Sir, I.D., 1897, page 509, early in 1894, Mr. Ray read a paper before the Anthropological Institute Journ, Anf, Inst, XXID, page 15, in which he adhered to our former discrimination of two linguistic stocks and added a third type of language composed of a mixture of the other two for which he proposed the name Melano-Papuan. These languages, according to Mr. Ray, occur in the Trobriands, Woodlarks and the Louisians, and similar languages are found in the northern Solomon Islands. For some years I have been studying the decorative art of British New Guinea, and from physical and artistic and other cultural reasons had come to the conclusion that the Melanesians of British New Guinea should be broken up into two elements, one consisting of the Moto and Allied Melanesians and the other of the inhabitants of the Masson district an area extending slightly beyond that of Mr. Ray's Melano-Papuans, the decorative art of British New Guinea, Cunningham Memoirs, X-Roy, Irish Akad, 1894, pages 253-269. I reinforced my position six years later, studies in the anthropogeography of British New Guinea, Jern, Roy, Geog, Sock, 1900, pages 265-414. Dr. Seligman, in his valuable paper, A Classification of the Natives of British New Guinea, Jern, Roy, Anf, Inst, XXXIX, 1909, pages 246, 315 corroborated these views and designated the two groups of Melanesians as the Eastern and Western Papua Melanesians, 
The following year he published the great book to which Mr. Williamson so frequently refers, and in which this classification is maintained, and these two groups together with the Papuans, are termed Papuasians. The Modu stock of the western Papuan-Melanesians have extended their dispersal as far as the Mako district, where they came into contact with other peoples. It has been shown that the true Papuans are a narrow-headed people, but there are some puzzling exceptions, the explanation of which is not yet ascertained. The Papuan-Melanesians contain a somewhat broad-headed element, and there is a slightly broad-headed population in the central range of the southeast peninsula, the extent of which has not yet been determined. The questions naturally arise, one is the true Papuan a variable stock including both long broad-headed elements, or two does the broad-headed element belong to an immigrant people, or, again three is there in hither to an identified indigenous broad-headed race. I doubt if the time is right for a definite answer to any of these questions. Furthermore, we have yet to assign to their original sources the differences in culture which characterize various groups of people in New Guinea. Something has been done in this direction but much more has yet to be learned. So far I have not referred to a Negrito element in the ethnology of New Guinea. From time to time we have heard rumors of pygmy people, and German travelers have recorded very short individuals in Kaiser Wilhelm's land, but it was not till the expedition to Netherlands New Guinea of the British Ornithological Union of 1910-11 that a definite pygmy race was demonstrated. I think this can be no longer denied and the observations made by German ethnologists show that the race in a more or less modified state is widely spread. Now Mr. Williamson, whose work in New Guinea was contemporaneous with that of the Netherlands New Guinea expedition, adduces evidence that this is also the case in British territory. It is worth recalling that the Caterfages and Hamicrania Ethnica, 1882, pages 207-210, 253256 Distinguish A. Negrito Papuan and A. Papuan element in the Torres Straits. This problem will be discussed in Volume I of the reports of the Cambridge Expedition to Torres Straits. I feel little doubt that Mr. Williamson has shown strong evidence that the Mafulu and probably other adjacent mountain tribes are essentially a pygmy that is to say a Negrito people who have been modified to some extent by Papuan and possibly Papuan-Melanesian influence, both physical and cultural. He has marshaled his data with great skill, and has dissected out, as it were, the physical and cultural elements of the Negrito substratum. It only remains for other observers to study Negritos in other parts of New Guinea to see how far these claims can be substantiated. It is evident therefore that, apart from the valuable detailed information which Mr. Williamson has given us concerning a hitherto unknown tribe, he has opened up a problem of considerable interest and magnitude. A.C. Hedden the MAFULU Mountain People of British New Guinea Chapter I Introductory The map appended to this volume is with the exception of the red lines and red lettering upon it a reproduction of a portion of the map relating to the explorations and surveys of Dr. Strong, Mr. Moncton and Captain Barton, which was published in the Geographical Journal for September, 1908, and the use of which has been kindly permitted me by the Royal Geographical Society. I have eliminated the red root lines which appear in the original map so as to avoid confusion with the red lines which I have added. The unbroken red lines and the red lettering upon my map are copied from a map, also kindly placed at my disposal, which has been recently prepared by Father Philodine of the Mission of the Sacred Heart, and these lines mark roughly what the fathers of the mission believe to be the boundaries of the several linguistic areas within the district covered by their map. 
it will be observed that some of these lines are not continued so as to surround and complete the definition of the areas which they indicate, but this defect is unavoidable, as the father's map only covered a relatively small area, and even in that map the lines were not all carried to its margin. It will also be noticed that, though the fathers introduced the two names or Lopico and Bodoy as being linguistically distinct, they had not indicated the boundary line between the two areas. Father Agdi, however, informed me that this boundary passes along the ridge of hills south of the Ufafa River as far as Mount Elia, and thence along the Ucalama River to the Cuny boundary. The Ucalama River is not shown in the Geographical Society's map, but I may say that it is shown in the Father's map as rising in Mount Elia, and flowing thence in a southeasterly direction, and so joining the St. Joseph River close to Dilava. The broken red line upon my map does not appear in the Father's map but has been added by me to indicate what, I understand, the fathers believe to be a continued boundary, so far as ascertained, of the Fulsh linguistic area, called by them the Mafulu area, to which I am about to draw attention. The term Mafulu is the Kuni pronunciation of Mambuel, which is the name, as used by themselves, of the people who live in a group of villages within and near the northwesterly corner of the area of the Fulsh speaking people, whose Papuan language, so far as ascertained, appears, subject to local dialectal differences, to be the same, and may, I was informed, be regarded as one common language throughout the Fluge area. The fathers of the mission had adopted the name Mafulu in a wider sense, as including all the people with whom they have come in contact of the Fluge speaking area, and, though my investigations, which form the subject matter of this book, have been conducted only in the neighborhood of Mafulu itself, I was assured that, so far as the fathers have been able to ascertain, all these Fulsh people not only have similar languages, but also are substantially similar in physique and in culture. My observations concerning the Mafula people may therefore, if the statement is correct, be regarded as applying, not only to the inhabitants of the portion of the northwesterly corner of the Fulsh area in which the Mafula group of villages is placed, but to those of the whole of the northwesterly portion of the area and generally in a greater or less degree of accuracy to those of the northerly and northeasterly parts of the area, and possibly the southerly ones also. The boundaries of this Fulsh-speaking area can hardly be regarded as definitely ascertained, and the discrepancies, even as regards the courses of the rivers and the positions of the mountains, which appear in the few available maps make it difficult to deal with the question. The area, so far as actually ascertained by the fathers of the mission, roughly speaking, covers and seems to extend also some distance to the south or southwest of a triangle, the western apex of which is the junction of the river Kia with the river Adala a tributary of the St. Joseph, whose northeastern apex is Mount Albert Edward, and whose southeastern apex is Mount Scratchley. It includes the valley of the Adala River and its streams except those flowing into it from the north in the region of the western apex of the triangle within its northern boundary and the valley of the upper Vanapa River and its rivers and streams in the neighborhood of its eastern boundary, but this eastern boundary has been found to extend also so as to include the upper valley of the river Chirama. How far the area extends to the south or southwest of the triangle above mentioned appears to be uncertain. The linguistic area to the north of the Mafula or Fulsh people is that of the Ambo people, who are somewhat similar in appearance to the Mafulu, and whose language is also Papuan, and, though differing from the Mafulu language, is, I was told, somewhat similar to it in grammatical construction and as regards a few of its words, the area to the west is that of the Kuni people, whose language is Melanesian, 
but whose ordinary modes of life are, I was informed, more like those of the Mafula than are those of the Papuan-speaking Embo. The areas to the east and south cannot be so definitely stated, but are dealt with below. As regards these Embo people I may, in view of divergences of names which appear in maps, explain that Embo is a contraction of Embor, and is the name given to the people by their Mafula neighbors, whilst Afu is the name given to them by the Puni people, and is adopted in the Geographical Society's map. As regards the Puni people, their name is the one adopted by themselves, concerning the boundaries of the Fulsh linguistic area as above indicated, and the people whose districts adjoin that area. I propose here to draw attention to four names, and to refer to some observations bearing on the subject of the probable Fulsh boundary which are to be found in existing literature. The term Kovio, though primarily the name of Mount Yuli, and properly applicable to the people living in the neighborhood of that mountain, is now, I think, often used to express all the mountain tribes of the hinterland of the Mako and Pakao, and perhaps the Kabadi, districts, but the use of this name has not, I believe, been generally associated with any question of linguistics. The area in the map which is called by the fathers Bodoi is occupied by people whose language, I was told by the fathers, is Papuan, but is distinct from the languages of the Embo and the Fluge areas. Kamawika is a name which appears in several of Drive Seligman's publications. It seems to have been originally used by Captain Barton to designate the natives of the district of Wichinavaring, to the northeast of the Mako Plains, is the center, but to have been afterwards regarded as a somewhat more general term, and I think Dr. Seligman uses it in a very general sense, almost, if not quite, equivalent to the wide application above referred to of the term Covio, and which might include the Papuan-speaking Bodoi and Embo people, and even perhaps the people of the northern Mafulu villages. But here again the use of the name has, I think, no reference to a linguistics. If the father's linguistic boundary lines are substantially correct, each of the two terms Kovio and Kamawika, as now used, would appear to cover more than one linguistic area, and in any case these terms seem to have widened and to have become somewhat indefinite. It will be seen on reference to the map and to Father Agdi's information as to the Oralopico and Bodoi boundaries that both Mount Yuli and Inavarin are within the area which the fathers call Oralopico, but that Inavarin is not far from their Bodoi area. I suggest that it would be convenient for the present, pending further investigation and delimitation on the spot, and until we know something of the difference between the languages of the Oralopico and Bodoi people, to adopt the term Covio as a general name for and confine it to, the two areas Bodoi and Oralopiku, though for linguistic purposes the names Bodoi and Oralopiku, which at present indicate very little to us, may eventually be accepted and come into general use. The Koiri people of the foothills and lateral spurs behind the Moto area, also referred to from time to time in Drive Seligman's writings, must be eastern next-door neighbors of the Fluish-speaking people, the western boundary of these Koiri being stated by him to be the Banapa River and they being in fact regarded by him as being the eastern neighbors of the natives of the mountains inland of Mekonara and Kabadi, and being referred to by him as being the people from whose district the Kamawika and Kuni are reached by passing westward, the word used is eastward, but this is obviously a printer's error in the mountains, keeping roughly parallel with the coast, turning to the question of the Flush boundary. Dr. Strong says that the Flush people occupy the upper waters of the St. Joseph River, and he is quoted by Dr. Seligman as having stated that the Ifo language is spoken in the villages on Mount Pizoko and the northern slopes of Mount Davidson, 
and that, beautiful villages lie to the north of the Fluge-speaking communities, stretching westward for an unknown distance behind Mount Davidson. If the information given to me verbally by the fathers of the mission of the Sacred Heart and the red linguistic boundary lines roughly drawn by them, and introduced into my map, be correct. These statements require modification, for according to the fathers the Mafula or Fluge-speaking area does not include any part of the St. Joseph River, as its extreme northwesterly corner lies to the east of the junction close to the boundary line between the Ithuambo and the Kuni areas of the rivers Alabula and Adala, and Mount Fizoko is within the Fluge area, and not within that of the Ifo, and Mount Davidson is within the Bodoi area. I think that, though the fathers' lines are admittedly not exact, they and the information supplied by the fathers to me are likely to be more trustworthy in these respects, especially as regards boundaries near to the actual Mafulu villages, than the earlier statements of Dr. Strong, as they are the outcome of recent and careful investigation, and, as regards Mount Fizoko, I may mention that Dr. Strong himself seems to have subsequently regarded that mountain as being within the Mafulu district, which brings it into the Fluge area. The inclusion of the upper valley of the river Chirimo within the Fluge or Mafulu speaking area is perhaps surprising, as this valley is separated from the general Fluge area by one of the southern ridges of Mount Albert Edward, and more or less so by the ridges of Mount Stonewig and the Wharton Range, and as the Chirimo is a tributary flowing into the Monterey River, which is one of the great watercourses of northern New Guinea, the Mafulu Fathers, however, had no doubt as to the correctness of the inclusion which seems to open out the possibility of some, at all events, of the Fluge people having northern associations, and indeed Monsignor de Boisman who told me that he believed that the Mafula people were in touch with northern New Guinea, and got some of their shell ornaments, or the shells from which they were made, from the northern coast. It is interesting, therefore, to turn for the purpose of comparison to the report of Mr. Monkton's expedition to Mount Albert Edward by way of the Upper Chirima Valley in 1906 and the illustrations accompanying it, with which I incorporate a description of the people of this valley given to Dr. Seligman by Mr. Money, who was with Mr. Monkton. From these it appears that the Upper Chirima people are short in stature and sturdily built. Both sexes wear the perennial band the front of which is made I am not sure whether this applies to women as well as to men to bulge out by padding, in some cases the men's hair is tied up in a bunch with string, and in others it is bound up in various styles with native cloth, some of the men had their hair done up in small plates over the forehead, all the above descriptions, except that of the padding of the band, are applicable to the Mafulu, some of the Chirimo houses had a curious apse-like roof projection over the front platform, which is a specially distinctive feature of a Mafulu house, and one with this projection figured by Mr. Moncton is indistinguishable from a typical Mafulu house. The Chirimo people place the bodies of their dead on raised platforms, and apparently sometimes put the body of an infant on the platform erection of an adult, but below the latter. This also is a practice of the Mafulu, and, though the latter people confine platform burial if such it may be called to chiefs and their families and important persons, it is possible that some such limitation of the custom exists in the Chirima Valley also, but did not come under Mr. Moncton's notice. A burial platform figured by him might well be a Mafula burial platform, except that the curious cone-shaped receptacle for the child is a form for which I cannot vouch as regards the Mafulu. The Chirima had a special and peculiar form of netting, which Mr. Moncton's illustration shows to be identical with the special form of Mafula netting. On the other hand, as regards the Chirima weapons, implements and utensils, 
a comparison of Mr. Moncton's verbal descriptions and figures with what I have seen in Mafulu, and described in this book, leads me to the conclusion that, though many of these are similar to those of Mafulu, some of them are different. As examples of this I may say that the drill implements of the Chiruma people are very similar to, and their stone cloth beaters appear to be identical with, those used by the Mafulu, whilst on the other hand their war bows are much longer, and their method of producing fire seems to be totally different, also they apparently had bulrawars, which to the best of my knowledge are unknown among the Mafulu. Again some of the Chiruma weapons, as figured by Mr. Munkin, disclose ideas of artistic design including that of the curved line and a rude representation of a man, which I have not met with among the Mafulu. As regards this last point I draw attention to Mr. Moncton's figures of carving on a bow and on wooden clubs. I think, however, that in such matters as these local differences might well arise between people who are really more or less identical, especially if their respective districts are on opposite sides of the main mountain range of the country and still more so if the people of one of the districts in the present case I refer to the Chiruma people may perhaps have been subject to the influence of other people beyond them. As to this latter point, however, I should say that these Chiruma people seem to be, so far as dress, ornaments, and see, are concerned, much nearer to the Mafula than they are to the natives of the Monterey River itself. As described by Sir William McGregor, it is curious also that the dogs of the Chiruma people are not yellow dingoes, but are black and white, as is the case in Mafulu. I notice that Dr. Seligman suggests that these Chiruma Valley people are related to the natives of the neighborhood of Mount Yuli, a statement which, though probably intended broadly, is in accord with the suggestion that they are connected with the Mafulu-speaking people, the natives of Mount Scratchley apparently the eastern or southeastern side, visited by Sir William McGregor in 1896 appear from his description of them to show a few points of resemblance to the Mafula people. In particular I refer to their dark bronze color, to the wearing by women of the perineal band to which, however, is added a manland, in most cases, a grass petticoat, which is, 